Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome to Thread, Season 3, Episode 15. Thread is God's Word, tying together all the pieces of your life as a person in ministry, whether it's informally or as a vocation. It's a gathering place for believers who want to learn from God's Word about how to minister more effectively. In Season 3, we're moving through 2 Corinthians, the book about the ministry. Today's thread covers chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, and the topic, the one character trait you'll never succeed without as a believer. I mean, a lot of things are important, but without this one trait, you simply won't finish the race. All right, let's dive in. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Okay, here is one of those few places in the scripture where I think uh, in the numbering system, they got it off a little bit. I think verses 1 and 2 actually belong to the last chapter. So I am going to move them up to that chapter, and we're going to begin in verse 3. All right, this is a huge lesson. Uh, I think you're going to get so much out of it. Man, I was blessed by it. It's got a very, very encouraging lesson. So if your heart's a little bit heavy, and you're bearing a bit of an extra load as you uh, continue to work for the Lord and to represent Him in this fallen world, uh, or even to serve the people of God in a in a, uh, a vocational ministry role. I think this episode has a lot to say. Verse three. Let's dive in. Paul says, "We give no offense, lest our ministry be disgraced." Uh, We give no offense. The word offense means to reach down and uh, trip somebody's leg and make them fall down. You know, so he's not talking about just irritating some people or people are going to agree with everything you do. Because Paul, if anybody, was a lightning rod for controversy. And he intended to be. You know, he had a certain position. He was going to hold that position, pound on it and refuse to back down because he wanted to bring change. So he's not talking about that. He's talking about the thing that makes a person lose heart and drop out of the the spiritual race. You know, their walk with Jesus. Those things. uh, I was talking to my daughter about that this week. You know, there are these there are these experiences sometimes that people have where they become discouraged or disappointed by something they see and they almost get the feeling like. You know, they've just whipped back the curtain and they thought Oz the Great, you know, is this God. And they whip back the curtain and it's just a man holding a microphone. And they just feel like this is all fake, you know. And there are times that uh, a person in their total sincerity runs into something that they would never have expected from someone that they believe is a man or woman of God. And it just takes all the just takes the fight out of them. Sometimes they begin to you know, question whether the whole thing is fake. And that's what Paul's talking about. We give no offense. We do not. We're very careful. We don't ever want to trip somebody and make them fall out of their walk with Jesus. Lest our ministry, our lifetime of service to the Lord, be disgraced. And Paul goes on to talk about it. He says, in everything, you know, we're watching out. In everything, not just while we're in the spotlight to make sure we do a good job, you know, with our talking point, our talking part 
on a stage, but he said in everything in our life, we're careful because we don't want that to ever happen. So, you know, he's got this high uh, vision of what it is to be in the ministry. And now he touches in on the one character trait that I told you this lesson is about. And this is, let's think of it like um, a character line. You know, I'm getting old enough now. I'm starting to have some wrinkles. And there's two ways to look at that. I mean, on the one hand, it's funny. When they're happening to you, you think they look old. But I can remember being in my 20s and seeing, I think it was Robert Redford, and he was just, oh, kind of wrinkled up. And I just thought he looked so cool. And I remember thinking in those days, I can't wait to get crow's feet, you know, and that whole, like, uh, Marlboro Man face. Because it's got character, you know. It it makes you into a character. So, uh He's Paul's going to describe a character line and this character line. You're going to see it on everyone who is true in the Lord, especially he's talking about ministers, those people who give their life to the service of the Lord. You're going to see a crease, a character line on them. You might think of it like a crease in a well-worn pair of boots, you know. Something that he's not saying if you'll aspire to this thing, you know, maybe you can be this thing. He's saying the opposite. If you are the real thing, you know, if you are a true minister of the Lord and you walk with God in a life of ministry, that ministry is going to leave a character crease on you. And that character crease is going to have one huge characteristic. And so Paul says, and and here we go. Paul says, you're going to have mm, my, my English translation here says much patience, but stick with me here. This is where the gold starts. And you need to hear this today because that's why you're listening to this podcast. Uh, The word patience, it's, it's a huge concept. Uh, The Greek word is hupomone. It, it is not like the modern English word patience, as in I'm patiently waiting for the light to change from red to green. That's not what we're talking about. This characteristic, hupomone, is lifted up as the key to spiritual success in the New Testament. It is this one thing that will make you win in the end. It is the central reason, at least the central human reason, you know, I'm not talking about grace. I'm talking about the part that we have to do to respond to grace. This is the one central human reason that you can stand one day before God and hear him look you in the eye and honestly say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Hupomone. Paul says people who are the real deal have much hupomone. Hupomone means keeping on. It's like uh, it's like Rocky. You know, you just I, I made my kids watch that because I, I didn't realize how old it was and how they make the Rocky reference culturally, but they don't, they've never seen the movie. And they watched the movie and it, it was it's great. You know, you get pounded down, you get knocked down, and you just you just keep getting back up. You get disappointed, and you keep walking anyway. You're given too much work. You don't get a reward for that work, and yet you keep on doing it. 
Nobody comes to help you with your work, and yet you just do it anyway. You do your very best, and you get no applause, but you still keep on walking with Jesus. You get persecuted for following him, and you take it, and you follow him anyway. Hupomone. It means uh, patient endurance. You see, you only win the prize if you finish the race. And it doesn't matter who finishes first. Actually, Jesus finished first, so that part's done. But you have to finish. And hupomone is endurance. It's when you get into a race and it becomes harder and harder and harder. Uh, I'm in Thailand today and I was going for a walk with my daughter and we walked about, I don't know, four and a half or five miles and it was blazing hot. We're in the middle of a tropical summer and it, oh, it was hot. My feet are still hurting from it, but you just, you have to finish. You commit to it and you just keep walking and you, you do what you can. You get in the shade when you can, you have a drink of water, but you don't stop walking. You just keep on going. You know, hupomone is endurance. And the Bible says so much about it. A lot of times it's translated with the word patience, but it's a different kind of patience. It's patient endurance. And amazingly, one of the things that Scripture says is that you get hupomone as you pass through trials that you suffer for Jesus' sake. In Romans 5, 3, it says, knowing that tribulation produces hupomone. It produces patience. And James 1, 3 says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It produces hupomone. Look, this is a day when people give up so easily. I mean, I've been married over 35 years. What's the secret to a lifetime marriage? Well, don't give up. Keep walking together. Just keep working on it. It's not that there's some secret place of bliss and you don't have to do this. It's a lifetime journey. You both change. Your life changes. You change. And the old marriage doesn't work anymore. And you have to renegotiate it. And in my experience, you have to do it every 10 years. And you just dig down. You say, we're a couple. We're a couple till we die. And we're going to work this out and we're going to be happy with each other. You know, we're not going to live a miserable life. We're going to be happy and we're going to work it out. What do you need? What do I need? And you just stick with it, you know. What's the secret to planning churches or raising solid kids or leading people to Jesus or creating art for his glory or building successful organizations? It doesn't matter. It's the same secret to success. Hupo mone. Patient endurance. Paul says people who are the real deal, people who finish this race, people who are approved by God, they all have this one characteristic, hupomone. They are loyal to God and they refuse to deviate from their purpose because they purposed in their life, in their heart that they're going to serve him. And so despite the greatest suffering, the greatest disappointment, they just endure. They just keep moving. I mean, I'll say it again. This is a day when people give up so easily. Any little thing. And they're, they're going to cash in on their marriage. They're going to cash in. Going to quit the ministry. They're going to quit. You know, they're, they're just going to quit. They're going to quit participating. Any little thing. They get offended. Get their nose out of joint. I quit. I quit. I quit. 
the real servants of God don't do that. They just keep walking. Just keep walking. Abraham, Moses, David, Elijah, John the Baptist, Simon Peter, Paul the Apostle. I mean, what did these people have in common? Perfection? No. They messed up so many times, and it's even recorded in the scriptures, so we would see the whole story of their life. I mean, really, there's hardly a perfect example among all of God's servants in the Word of God. But they all have this in common, patient endurance. If others uh, do something and it, you know, it hurts them, they keep on walking. If they themselves totally blow it, fall on their face, mess everything up, They apologize to who they need to apologize to. They get back on their feet and they just keep walking. They don't stop the race no matter what. And that is the central mark on their lives. William Carey said this, I can plod. Plodding is when you just like, you're so tired. And, but you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. It's not very uh, gracious, graceful. And you're not making really good time, but you just don't quit walking, you know. And so William Carey said, I can plod. I can persevere in any definite pursuit. To this, I owe everything. Now, Paul's going to describe, oh, this is such a powerful passage. He's going to describe all the things that create this character line of much patient endurance in the life of everyone who finishes the race as a true servant of God. And he's going to do it in three categories. He's going to give us three categories of things we have to pass through. And the first set, and they're all, you know, they're all like bullet points. So there's a lot in this. The first set is, is passive. Okay. These are things that happen to you. And they're things that you didn't choose. They're things you would not intentionally bring upon yourself. And yet, Finding yourself in these things, you don't whine, you don't panic, you don't lash out, and you don't run away. You just stick to your job and you go through these trials because you believe that God is present with you and that God is sovereign. Okay, so this first set, things that happen to you. Uh, Verse four, Paul says, we are patient in tribulations. Uh, plural. Uh, squeeze, the word means squeezings. You're getting squeezed from every direction. And you're, you endure that. Second thing he says, you have unmet needs. Unmet needs. You're going to go through life and it is very possible that some of your needs may never be met. And sometimes you don't have your needs met. Certain kinds of needs because of the faithfulness that you have for the Lord. You're walking in a certain path, and it, that, that path is not rewarded by this world. And Paul says, and patiently, you just keep going. Yeah, but I have needs. I know, we all have needs. Yeah, but my needs are not being met. I know that. My needs are not being met either. Are you going to do your job or not? And we just keep walking. We just keep walking. The third thing Paul says happens, distresses. In English, um, the, a lot of translations say dire straits or straits. Distresses means mm, they get the idea from, from uh, navigation of ships. 
places that are like they're super hard rocks on both sides. They're sharp. They will destroy your boat. It is so tight that you really can't maneuver. Every choice you make is a bad choice. You know, if you go a little bit to the left, you're going to get hurt. A little bit to the right, you're going to get hurt. The only thing you can do is just keep centered. Uh, it reminds me of, maybe I told you about this before. Um, one of my sons and I were on motorcycles. I love to motocross up in these foothills of the Himalayas that are all around me. And we got to go on and we were going up in this tribal area in, in the high mountains. And there was this uh, ravine, maybe it was uh, 10 feet deep. And they put, let's say, five pieces of bamboo and they wove them all together and it made a little bridge. So we go firing across that, you know, keep on going, climb, go through hard places. And then we get a little higher and there's another one of those. Only now maybe it's 15 or 20 foot deep. And instead of having five pieces of bamboo, they have three pieces of bamboo. And golly, that doesn't look very wide at all. And the only thing you can do is either turn back, but we didn't. So you just have to go on forward and you keep going and it gets harder. And then the ravines get deeper. And, then, you know, this these pieces of bamboo are harder to find. And they're they're building these tiny little footbridges they never really intended for motorcycles to go across. And the only way you make it is you just you just don't look down. You don't look right. You don't look left. You just look where you wish you could go. And you just make yourself go there. You know, you're in distress, as Paul says, and yet you persevere. Verse 5, Paul says you get stripes. He's talking about physical damage from being beaten for Christ. And there are people in the world and some of the countries that listen to the Thread podcast, you, you do have uh, a chance that in your lifetime you may be beaten because of following Christ. Paul says stripes. It could be imprisonments. I've known men who missed even decades of their children's lives because they were in prison for following Christ. We've worked with the underground churches in China. I have met a brother from Latin America that he was in jail for, I think it was 17 years. And I mean, it's huge. What a heartbreak to miss that much of your family's life. I know of a brother who was imprisoned and his wife divorced him while he was in prison for the name of Jesus. And yet you persevere. You either give up or you persevere and you just keep moving on. Paul says it could be tumults. That means commotions. It's when people get in a big uproar against you and they call the police or they get the military or they call the religious authorities and you're like in, in the hands of this mob. Paul says you persevere in labors. And he just means hard labor, doing work that is physically heavy work to do. You know, that just wears your body out. And yet you just keep walking. Paul says you, you go through sleeplessness. Times when the work you are doing in the Lord causes you to miss sleep, causes you to have late nights and early mornings. Somebody has an, uh, you know, an extra special need or things are just there's just too much to do. And it just the only it's not sustainable, but sometimes it's all you can do is just work later and get up earlier and you just keep going. You're just sleeping. Your body's wearing down. Paul says you go through 
fastings, and he's not talking about here uh, voluntary fasting. He's talking about being physically hungry. You are patient while you are physically hungry. That's a huge challenge. A lot of us get really grumpy when we haven't eaten. Paul's talking about you know maybe waiting your turn to have food so other people can have what little food there is in tough times. Controlling your attitude, not giving up, not quitting, just enduring. It's like you're, you're walking out of a desert. The only way you can get through is just, just keep walking, go in the same direction because every desert in the world has an ending point. They don't go on forever, but you may have to walk all the way across it. So this first set of stuff Paul mentions, you know, that, that makes that crease, that patience crease in the life of a person who is faithful to the Lord, who is going to be honored by the Lord for their ministry, their servanthood to him. Those were all things that are passive. They just happen to you and you have to decide what you're going to do with that experience. You're either going to whine about it or quit or complain or you're just going to, you know, you're going to say, this is my my part in the Lord and I'm going to let it be my sacrifice to the Lord. And you just keep on going. OK, so that's the first set. Now, Paul comes into a second set, and this is in verses six and seven. These are a lot more uh, active things, things that you choose as your lifestyle. They don't happen to you. You take them on. And you you put them in your life. Okay, verse 6, he says, the first of these, purity. And by that he means uh, innocence. That is, keeping yourself away from the moral filth of this perverse world. That you just do whatever you have to do. You know, if, if you're... What, I don't know what your problems are and what your vices are. All of us have something that the old guys used to call besetting sins. And it's like if, if, if your besetting sin came to me and tried to tempt me, maybe it would be nothing to me. It's like that is not going to get my attention. But I may have another one that to you is you know, it's not a big deal. But to me, man, that one always gets me. Well, Purity is not an accident. Purity is not because you're lucky. Purity is because you do whatever you have to do to keep yourself innocent. You know, you add witnesses. You don't travel alone. You don't allow yourself to go online when you're bored. You don't do whatever it is. You keep yourself accountable. And by that, I mean, you keep your life uh, open. You don't let there be hidden places. Uh, you cut off conflicts of interest you, you do whatever you can do. You have to make purity become part of your life. It won't happen by itself. So Paul says you take these things on. It's a way of being patiently enduring in your walk with the Lord. Second thing he said is knowledge in the sense that you never stop studying. You never stop learning God's word. You never stop learning God's ways. You never stop learning from other people so you can be a better disciple and a better teacher. Uh, I served under somebody one time who I could see was just a shell of a man when I met him. And he had been a great man. He'd had such a big impact on people that I knew, he and his wife both. And yet when I met this man, 
he said, and he was proud of this, he said, I've, I made one set of sermons and I've gone through my sermons three times now and no one is the wiser. And it was like, oh man, you can't do that. You got to keep, you got to keep growing. You got to keep learning. You can't stop studying. You can't stop loving God's word. Uh, if you're going to be a teacher of the word. So Paul said, you know, that studies work and it's something you have to endure and you just keep at it. Keep at it. Next thing he said, long suffering. This means putting up with things when you just want to whack somebody. You know, it's like it's just the aggravations of things that they just keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. And it's so ridiculous and you just have to bite your tongue and be the peacemaker and you just put up with it. You know, you just put up with it. You just want to blow up, but you know not to do that. If I do that, it's going to get worse and I'm just going to deal with it. I'm just going to take it. I can handle this. The next thing Paul says you put on is kindness. And I looked that word up because, you know, that's one of those words that, you know, who doesn't like kindness? But I looked up the meaning and it means usefulness. Ah, that's different. You know, there are a lot of people that will tell you what to do with your fussy child. But there aren't that many people that would say, would you like me to take your baby for five minutes and just give you a break? And, uh, you know, I can handle if she fusses and cries and screams the whole time. It's okay. I'll do that. You know, almost nobody's going to do that. Usefulness. You choose to be of use to other people. You choose to wash feet. You choose to be someone that would say, you know, it's okay. I volunteer. And if you need my help, I will give it. Or you don't even say that. You just do it. You just start washing the dishes. You just pick up the mess. You just do what you need to do because it's, it's there right in front of you. You make yourself useful. Paul said it's a part of patient endurance. Next, he says, by the Holy Spirit. That you take on to live in the spirit and to step back and be, you know, try to be objective in life. But that you are you're living your life and you're trying to keep making, you know, taking a step back from from what's going on around you and saying, Lord, help me to stay in the spirit. Help me to stay in step with the spirit. Guide me. Give me impulses. Uh, The things I do. Would you empower those things before you open your mouth to speak? You know, Holy Spirit, would you anoint me now to speak to this person living by the Holy Spirit? Doesn't happen on its own. You make it happen. You choose to respond to the Holy Spirit who lives in you and allow him to flow like that. Next on the list, sincere love, not fake smiles, not the uh, institutional use of a person, but sincere love. It means unmixed that you're unmixed in your motive. You just love people and you love them sincerely. You send sincere love missiles at other people all day long. Next on the list, Paul says, by the word of truth. And I think by this, he means that you honor God's word. You live God's word and you share God's word and you plant that word in other people and you do it with conviction. And then God makes it have power in the lives of other people also by the word of truth. And next, by the power of God. You know, God does things through you in the lives of other people that cannot be explained. 
by simple human means. The power of God is at work in your life. And by the armor of righteousness. Righteousness means right with Godness. I am aligned with God. So by being aligned with God in the Greek, there's two ways to take this sentence, but one of the ways that I think we should take it is by the weapons provided by, it's how to read that of, whether it's a, you know, whether it's genit, okay. What does the word of mean? Does it mean it belongs to righteousness or does it mean it leads to righteousness? And I believe it means it belongs to righteousness. That we are given a set of weapons and these weapons are provided by righteousness. You know, when I align with God, when I'm right with God and I line up with God, I have access now to weapons. And Paul said weapons for your right hand and weapons on your left. Your left hand had a shield. It's defensive. Your right hand had a sword or a, a lance. So you got offensive and defensive weapons and they come to you because you're choosing to put on this armor and gear up for war. But you get this armor because you're making your life match God's value system. Okay, so that's the second set. First set, things that happen to you and you roll with them and you say, it's okay, I'm not going to quit. Second one is the moral high ground. You just have a super high uh, standard for your own life. And it's not just wishful thinking, but you live that life. You know, you're walking in the spirit, you're wearing his armor, you're keeping yourself pure, you're digging in the word, you won't stop learning, you put up with all the aggravations that come to you and, you know, you don't blow up on people. You make yourself useful to other people. You know, you're just there to serve. Wow, what a person. Now he goes to a third set. These are really cool, these last ones. Because at this point, I think Paul's getting warmed up and he waxes poetic. And he starts thinking about the mad swings of life, especially a ministry life. When your intention is to be a change agent, when your, your heart's desire is to act as, in our last lesson, an authorized agent of the reconciliation. You know, God has reconciled between man and God. The Father has reconciled. And I am now an authorized agent of the reconciliation. And Paul says, when you do that and you decide to you know, stop playing this world's game, and you don't care about getting ahead the way the world's trying to get ahead. And then they all die. But instead you say, I'm going to serve the Lord and make my life meaningful. He says, you're going to, you're going to have these crazy paradoxes in your life. And we're, again, remember, we're talking about patient endurance. You just keep walking. Walk the walk, okay? Keep on keeping on. Verse 8, Paul said, you're going to have the experience of being honored and being dishonored all at the same time. It's going to happen, not the same moment, but you know, you're going to have both of these experiences. And I've, I've served in Asia for most of my life and I never knew that's what I was going to do with my life. But I can remember preaching in Japan to a, a gathering of all the churches in our group. And at the end of it, I sat down 
and a, uh, a pastor's wife had been chosen. And she came up and she knelt on the ground beside me and she handed me this tray and it had a cold towel and it had a hot drink. And uh, it was such beautiful servanthood, you know, the honoring. And it's like, wow, who gets that in their lifetime to have somebody honor you like that on the stage? And then I was in Vietnam once. I was in North Vietnam and the train broke down and we were sort of stranded for about a day. And I got out. I was a little bit bored. And I went walking down the track wanting to see what the country looked like. And this man walks up to me and he just stares at me. And then he gave me that, you know, that gesture where you, you take your finger and you cut the throat with it and he just like bores into my eyes and he cuts my throat with his finger, you know, made the gesture. It's like, wow, you're, you're honored and then you're dishonored and, uh, and you're going to have both. You're going to have both experiences. Paul said, you're going to go through evil report and good report. Uh, you know, you haven't lived completely until someone misunderstands your most sincere action and reports things completely differently. You know, I thank God I haven't had too many of these experiences, but they are so, man, they hurt enough to make you quit the ministry. And a lot of people do quit exactly over this. You know, your motives were pure. You know what you said, you know what you meant. And the other person, I don't know what channel they were tuned to, but they had the same, they were in the same, you know, moment with you and they report it totally backwards. And maybe there aren't any other witnesses and it's just whatever they say. And you can try to fix it. But a lot of these things, uh, it's because their heart, I don't know what they are. They're either insecure or they're malicious or I don't know why people do these things. But there's times you just can't do anything about it. The more you pick at it, it's just going to get worse. And, you know, there's other times you need to clear it up. And if you clear it up, it does go away. But the point is, and Paul, Paul had this happen to him. You know, he, he's doing his very best and he's misunderstood. And even among Jewish Christians, his actions are being reported all over the place. You know, you get evil reports and then other people give you really good reports. And that means they are defending you in your absence. They are speaking well of you and you're not even there. You know, it's so encouraging to have somebody walk up and say, man, so-and-so was talking about you. They think you hung the moon. You know, they they just honored you so much. It's like, oh, wow, that feels so good. And you're not there, but you hear that that's what was said. Okay, uh, we're, we're on to evil reports and good reports. Paul says, as deceivers and yet as true. You know, there may be a time in your life that someone uh, they ascribe to you like the most diabolical of motives that you intentionally try to deceive people. Uh, and this is especially going to happen if you're a change agent and you're you are bringing new gospel truth and families especially don't like this stuff. And it comes back, you know, they fight back. And Paul says you're treated as a deceiver and yet you are true. Verse nine. As unknown, and yet you are well known. And this is kind of funny too. When you're, when you're, uh, if you're a speaker in a church circle, you can become, you know, internet famous. There's church famous, and people in your kind of churches, whether it's I don't know Nazarene or Assemblies of God or whatever your group is, 
that you are so famous. You know, they go, oh my gosh, you're the, you're so-and-so, you know, church famous. But in culture, you're a total nobody. You know, if you tried to explain to a person on an airplane, oh, I'm a, I do this and this for this group of churches, they would just not even know what to do with that information, you know. Unknown, Paul says, and yet well-known. Unknown, not recognized, not recognized in a broader society for all that you are inside. They don't know who you are. Unknown, they don't know what you've done. And I think it's so beautiful that Jesus promised recognition by God. You know, that the world may not know who you are. They may not know what you have done, but the Father knows. And the Father honors you right now. He honors. And in the future, the first will be last. And many who in this world are last will suddenly find themselves first because you will be rewarded and you will be recognized by the Father. Next paradox. Paul says, dying and yet behold, we live. You know, we a lot of people will, they kind of have a prayer that says, use me, Lord, Use me, Lord. Well, we need to understand when we pray, use me, Lord, we are saying, use me up. Use me up. You know, God doesn't need a knickknack that he can set some pretty thing on a counter and say, here, I will use you. We're more like toothpaste or a bag of chocolate morsels or a pair of shoes. If you're going to use them, you consume them. You destroy them eventually. You, you know, they don't exist anymore. Use me up. And so Paul says, the ministry and my life walking with God, it's using me up. You know, I'm dying. I'm physically dying. My strength is being sucked out day after day. I feel the weakness coming into my body. I have to fight to keep muscle on me. And I'm just, I'm tired and Paul says, we're dying day by day by day. We're dying. And yet we have the Zoe, you know, the life force of God living in us. We're dying and yet we're living. And we are chastened and yet we are not killed. Now, this the chastened, that's an important word. It means to be disciplined as someone's child. So I'm not sure if he means that you're your cultural group chastens you. They discipline you because you're irritating to them. You're standing for Jesus and you're pushing for him. And, and they, you know, they see you as insider to their group and they want to like put pressure and punishment on you. Or it means God is chastening me that as I serve him, I am not perfect. And sometimes I stray over the line and God puts pressure on me. And yet he doesn't kill me, you know, and it, that could be possible, too. And then the final one, Paul says, oh, sorry. Three more. He says, we are sorrowful. We are being grieved. You know, there are things in in a life as you walk with the Lord that they go down into your heart and they just really break your heart. You're grieved over certain situations. Paul says, on the one hand, we're being grieved at what we see. And yet, on the other hand, we're always rejoicing. You know, we're praising, we're celebrating, we're laughing, we're enjoying food and friends, and we've got good relationships. And yet, there are times not too far away sometimes where we're just grieving in our heart. Paul says, we're 
poor. And he uses a word for dirt poor, in danger of starvation. We are the poorest of the poor. And a lot of Christians, they do. They're stripped of everything financial. When they follow Jesus, they're disinherited, they're kicked out of their home, and they have no place at all to stay. They're not in their family anymore. Paul says, we're poor. And yet, we make many rich, or we make others wealthy. We're poor, and yet we make many people wealthy as owning nothing and yet possessing all things. Man, I could talk about this one all day long because I have been uh, a man who has a family and I need to provide for my family, but my work that the Lord gave me is full-time missions work, and these are not places in the way that I am called to work. Uh, You know, some people just become an expat and they get a job in another country. That's not the role that I've had. And so uh, we own very little. You know, it's not even legal for us uh, to own a house or to own land because we're the foreigners in this country. And so Paul says it is very possible to walk with God, faithfully walk with God, and yet you own practically nothing. You don't have a house. Maybe you don't have a car. You don't have. You don't own things. And the the Greek word says, hold them down. You know, I can't hold things down and say, it's mine. It's mine alone. He says, I don't have these things. You know, even Jesus said, I don't have a place to live. So you own nothing. And yet, he says, you possess everything. You know, it's like I'm king of the world. I don't own things. I don't have my name on the title. I don't have my name on the deed. And yet everything in the world is at my disposal. I'm king of the world. I get the same sunset anyone else gets. It's the same ocean, the same water, the same river. When it's raining outside, I can go out and stand in the rain. I've got food. I've got shelter. You know, God puts things in front of me when I need it. What a life. But wow, what a bunch of paradoxes to have to deal with. And to be such a person. He is just lifting up such a, it's a high standard, but it's a beautiful standard, huh? You know, what an honor. The person I just described, or that Paul just described, that's an honor worth living for. I mean, that gives me something to shoot for in my life as a person, but also as a, as a person in ministry. To say, I want to be this person. You know, I want to be this man. What an impact the church would have on the world if all of us would raise our standards and just refuse to disgrace the ministry. You know, this is the ministry we've, whether you're in it full time or it's just a way of, of, you know, living toward others where you're the giver. If you just understand the father has appointed me to this kind of life. And if I just raise my standard and refuse to disgrace this ministry he's given me, and if I will determine to walk with God in an age where people give up so easily, but if I say, I'm not giving up, I'm what makes me win, that's what this whole lesson's about. What makes you win is not that you are fastest, you are the bright one, you speak better than others, it's that you finish. You don't. You just have patient 
endurance through all the things that happen to you that you would never choose, through all the weird paradoxes of life where you you get both the good and the bad in the same life. You know, it's not like you live one life and everything's bad and then you get all the good stuff. Everybody gets good and bad. It's all mixed up in one life. And then there's this high set of character traits that I choose to live on the high road. The high road. Hupomone. Patiently waiting for my turn. Patiently waiting for God to fulfill his word. Patiently waiting to be rewarded. Patiently waiting for the the father to look at the service of my life to him and smile and and feel that it's an you know it's a sincere gift to him hupo mone stick with it my friend that's all for now if you're enjoying thread how about sharing this podcast if you've got a friend who you think might be going through a hard time you know this would be a great lesson for him i, I hope you're as encouraged as i am with it that the Lord is going to be there for the people that just won't stop walking. Let's just keep walking. So pass the podcast on to your friends. Just use the buttons in the player on your screen. This week, expect God to use you. You are the light of the world. So shine on.